We are all interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. And remember, my friend, future events such as these will affect you in the future. You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable. That is why you are here. And now, for the first time, we are bringing to you... And welcome to Pedagodzilla, the pedagogic podcast with the pop culture core. New snappy tagline. Have you got a snappy tagline? Hmm? Have you got a snappy tagline? No. Oh my God, that was the one thing you needed to prepare. Was it? No, no. It's no. fine, it's fine. Mark and I'll give ours. You can think of yours during. Okay, yeah. Okay. This episode is the start of a three-part mini-series we're provisionally calling Where's My Hoverboard? The Future of EdTech and Education. Um, I'm Mike, Mike Collins. Um, I'm a bloke with a microphone, a learning designer at The Open University and imposter syndrome incarnate. And joining me today in the booth, we have... I'm Mark. Uh, I'm, uh, I've got a PhD in education. And a slightly different tagline this time is I'm now a lecturer in technology enhanced learning. New job. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. <laughs> Hello, I'm Claire and I'm the token female. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. Oh, that's not, that's not why you're here. I mean, it helps, but, you know... How many how many people do you actually have to have before (laughs) one person becomes token? I don't know. I don't know. It was it was a a South Park reference, really. But oh, okay. Oh, like token. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so um, like I say, this is the start of a three part mini series. Uh, So the first episode, we'll be discussing um, just the concept of predicting the future, Um, how it's weird, um, and how predicting the future of education's uh, even weirderer. Uh, and also the Jetsons, because they did future stuff, uh, like the Flintstones, but backwards. So basically, we'll be looking at the predictions the Jetsons made about the future, breaking them down a little bit um, to work out which bits of them are bits of good predicting and which bits are maybe less good, and then taking that forwards to the second part of the show, where we see how we can apply these towards predicting the future of education and what we reckon the next big things will be. And finally, in the third episode, we'll be poking through the OU Innovating Pedagogy Report uh, for our favourite scraps. So, first part of the show, uh, who remembers the Jetsons? I remember I them vaguely, mm. yeah. Yeah, I don't think I've ever watched them religiously, but I'm aware of them uh, okay. as a... Um, Cultural phenomenon. animated icon of the past. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, for, for the three people on the planet who don't know what the Jetsons is, uh, it was a 1960s Hanna-Barbera cartoon. Uh, Hanna-Barbera meaning that they just draw one background um, and then just use it across all of their shows. The, the cheapest animation ever. It was absolutely criminal. Uh, but basically, they um, they so you, they had a big hit with the Flintstones and said, why don't we, why don't we do the Flintstones in the future uh, and slightly in space? And that was the entire premise. And that was what uh, they sold the entire show on. Yeah, so that's uh, the Jetsons. And uh, in vain of predicting the future, we went through and found a list, uh, thanks to Screen Rant, who uh, curated this, uh, who put together um, 14 times the Jetsons predicted the future. Um, As this fits with our theme of predicting the future, we're going to try, I guess, and identify some of the common traits of predicting the future. He said, I'm just talking now. Yeah, no, you said traits. (laughs) Did I? He does this. He does tenets, and he says it tenants. And it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's like you get these extra ends in somewhere. Yeah, I don't know yeah, what it traints. is. Traints. But anyway, traits. Okay, so should we, get, should we kick off with the, with the, do you want to talk about what they are then? Because got, we've got, we got the website here and we're going to look at the pictures and see what comes to mind basically off the top of our heads. Yeah, so the, the big 14 predictions, uh, they were robot servants. In fact, should I do them one at a time? Yeah, we'll do them? robot servants first of all. Let's have a look at robot servants. Okay, okay. so 
the big 14 predictions were. First off, robot servants. So they predicted robot servants. So uh, we got the picture here and we've got, um, oh, what's the name of the robot? But um, uh, It does say in the article. Does it say in the article? Yep. Right, okay. We've got Rosie. Rosie. Okay, so the first thing is we still don't have robots in the house that actually move around and look like robots, like human-type robots. No. We've got Asimo, who's like a little sort of thing, but they don't really walk that well either. So I think what they completely underestimated is how difficult it is to get robots to actually walk around and interact like humans do. But the thing I was going to pick up from this, and I'm going to pass over to Claire here, is... The robot's gendered. I know, yes. <laughs> yeah. I've been trying to hold back on my no, gender no, no. comments. That's, that's, uh, <laughs> to be honest, that's why I went, Claire! <laughs> <laughs> but yes, one thing they didn't predict was the, the change in gender roles, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. and I think that's, that's what I think we've kind of come back to is that quite a lot of times is that the technology, they get, sometimes they get the technology, but the way that society changes. Yes really poor. Yes. Which of course changes a lot slower though, doesn't it? Culture changes much slower than technology does now anyway. Um, so yeah, maybe that's why. Yeah, they're, kind of, they're looking at it through the sort of societal lens of society as now, but with better stuff. Yes. What is, so why do you reckon, why don't, why is it difficult to, do you reckon to foresee these changes in? Uh, I would ask who they're written by and whether they're male or female. <laughs> I would suspect mainly male. Yeah. <laughs> And I think we keep on coming back to that, is that your technology, you can just look at, you can just tweak it and see how it changes. Culture is the same as technology in that it develops iteratively, doesn't it? So, yeah. yeah. Although, you know, from a biological perspective or from a, from a neurological perspective, the bits of hardware in our brains set up for, um, you know, the social, cultural aspects of things develop very, very, very slowly. So um, the hardware of our brains is still um, in large part configured for um, us kind of moving around little tribes of 100 people, um, hunting, gathering and uh, sort of, you know, subsistence existing off the land and kind of the mechanics of that aren't evolving as quickly as our societal and technological capabilities. True, yeah. But I suppose I see society evolving iteratively in terms of generations. So mm. each generation gets to a certain point and then the next one kind of has a little boost, doesn't it, up to the next point. So I suppose that's what you need to think about when you're thinking about education is how you're going to bridge that gap between what you can perceive now and what future generations are going to perceive are important in education and how how they interact with education to fulfil their needs. And, you know, there's still a kind of uh, gender uh, disparity, but the idea that a robot in the home is automatically going to be female because only females do domestic work, hopefully that would have gone, we wouldn't be getting that anymore when we're looking at science fiction. But when the Jetsons were written in the 60s, that's what, that's what happened. We didn't in Futurama. I was thinking about how... Futurama is a, seems to be a bit of a rip-off of the Jetsons, but actually the, it's the female characters who are strong and the robot is a... A, a bum. Male. Oh, it, yeah. is, if you call him a male, Bender, my yeah. favourite robot. Um, I can't think who does the housework in Futurama, but... No, they don't think they get it. Scruffy, janitor, screwy. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, should we have a look at yeah, the next yeah, one? Yeah, yeah, so let's move on. Okay. So, I mean, if anything, I feel that Robot Service is a great place to start on because we're already thinking about some key approaches and flaws in predicting the future, which is the societal lens, but yes. also it's a fair predictor on the future. We do, to some regard, have robot servants, just not how they have envisaged them. Well, I suppose what to learn, though, is not to make assumptions. So they've assumed that the female 
that it's going to be the female doing the housework, mm. as you mm. as you say, even in the future. Yeah. But don't make assumptions. Don't but, make assumptions. Oh my no. God, but assumptions is the predicting the future, isn't it? Yeah. And also oh. assumptions are things you don't know you're making. I mean, I know it's a cliche, but that's, yeah. that's it. I mean, back in the 60s, they wouldn't have just made things, oh, we're assuming gender norms are going to stay the same. They just, that wouldn't have occurred to them because that's what women do. Systems thinking, isn't it? Oh, yeah, don't let's leave Yeah, that's right, yeah. systems thinking. Systems thinking, okay. me, 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 me. <laughs> But I suppose I just made an assumption about education and that in the future it's going to be still linked to what people want to do for work and maybe it won't be. Ah, well, this is something that's actually not in the... So there's the 14 things the Jetsons predicted that came true and there's a load more they predicted which haven't. Yeah. And what I really, really just grinds my gears is uh, George Jetson works like a nine-hour working week. Oh. And he's like, "Oh, I'm so tired after nine hours of work." Because there was this huge, this is, and this assumption goes back donkey's years, and that's that um, uh, basically because of technology and automation, we'd all be working two, three days a week now, um, which hasn't transpired at all um, because of people's heads being stuck in the Victorian age when it comes to work ethics, um, but also the underestimation for faff, uh, which I'm sure we'll cover again, cover, come back to later. Um, generated by uh, by technology and stuff. Well, it's also who owns the technology as well, isn't it? I mean, it's like, you know, it's capitalism and capital that owns that stuff so people can make more money from it, but they don't share that money out. It's basically you get billionaires where you had millionaires before. Yeah. And on the whole, it's people still having to work 37-hour weeks in order to uh, in order to generate that income for the people who are actually then own that capital. I guess it's better than it was in the Victorian times when people were working like 60 or 70 hour weeks and not owning anything and living sort of six to a room or whatever. But it's... It doesn't feel much better, does it? <laughs> <laughs> where am I? Where, yeah, where's my hover boot? Where's my hoverboard? But also where's my nine hour working week or whatever? Yeah. yeah. But, you know, there were health problems with working uh, in the way the Victorians did, but health problems with working the way that we do now, even though we are just sat at a desk. That's, yeah. That comes with its own problems. Yeah. yeah, Jeff Bezos owes us money. God damn him. Um, so, sorry, uh, back to... Uh, so, we had some other predictions. We had talking alarm clocks. Well, we do. We have Siri, don't we? And that sort mm. of thing. I have a completely soundless alarm at the moment. I'm, I'm the light alarm. Um, so, what, what within talking alarm clocks uh, talks about a good approach to looking at the future what are the flaws it seems, it seems quite a sort of simple benign one benign benign <laughs> benign yeah, yeah, I think work. Yeah, you know. but also the gendered thing because that came up didn't it it's like uh, informa- these uh, information assistance things yeah. uh, my wife has a my wife has a has a male talking alarm clock yeah. that wakes her up it's some officious dude which I, okay this is the thing where it didn't progress where the, th- where the Jetsons didn't pick it up but when I if he gets something wrong, I am so happy about it. It's almost like it's a competition between me and her male alarm clock. And I don't think I'd feel the same if it was a female alarm clock. You feel like you're in competition with <laughs> an alarm with clock. The, the alarm clock. <laughs> yeah, like well, Siri in general, really, all the things that Siri oh. does for her. Is it, is it male the default option on Siri? Because I know it's the default option on Google Home. I don't think there is a default. I don't know if there's a... Well, I mean, because I know that... The, so this just I found very interesting is that they set the Google Home as female by default, and I think they had the UK version of the female voice available before the male one because more people choose it. I wonder if that's something... I mean, I don't know if I'd possibly find it more threatening to have a, a male voice burbling away in my kitchen telling me the pasta was done. But that, that would make sense because women are generally um, more open <laughs> and... I'm not saying why, but they. You, you, I would never feel threatened by hearing another woman's voice. But you both alluded to 
Possibly being threatened by a little fragile ego. And we're back to the old wiring. It's our prehistoric monkey brains going, there's another male nearby and he's in my home. Bugger that. And he's, he's after my harem. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Just go and get the rolling pin like cock. Whereas I'm always an hour earlier or an hour late for these things, you know. So yeah, so so how poor am I at that? Okay, okay dog walking. Should yeah, we so, dog walking? yeah, dog treadmills was the next one. Uh, mm. it was having having treadmills for your dogs. It sounds mm. so sad, it's a thing. I find it interesting that it's the dog on the treadmill and not the human. These, that's what has happened, isn't it? All humans are on treadmills. Yeah. And in gyms instead of Well, that was, that was kind of, that was in its nascency in the 60s, wasn't it? Was it? Oh, okay. Yeah, I think that was, um, I'm not picking myself up well. I think that was a thing in the 60s, sort of having treadmills and stuff. I remember those uh, vibrating machines. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're both miming being in a vibrating machine, (laughs) which is great, which is great. Cracking radio, yeah. Cracking radio. Okay. um, Um, I was just going to say one thing that I like about this as a prediction and one that when you see it, when you see something happening, you just think, oh, my God, there is no way people could have foreseen this is this is completely from out of the blue. This is actually thinking about a societal change which then would require, which as part of a kind of technological change. One of the things that blew my mind was I thought there is no way that anybody could have predicted this. Is Remember when Tamagotchis were big and all the kids were in schools and they had to keep the Tamagotchis alive. Do you remember Tamagotchis? Yeah, yeah sometimes. But people out there, it's like little virtual pets on little machines and you have to feed them every hour or whatever and otherwise they die. So basically, kids were taking them to school and pressing these buttons to keep the Tamagotchis alive and they were getting annoyed by the, the teachers were getting annoyed. So they would have to have somebody look after them during the day. And people were employed as Tamagotchi minders. Now, no way could you think, say if you're in the 60s or the 50s, imagining the future in the 80s or whenever this happened, thinking, well, you know, one of the things that's going to happen is people are going to have virtual pets and people are going to get annoyed by the kids having these virtual pets. So somebody's going to have to be employed to look after the virtual pets during the day. So you can have somebody earning money by pressing buttons, creating non-existent pets and keeping them alive. That is completely unpredictable. So what what you're talking about there is the difference between some of the kind of predictions on the Jetsons are about making life easier. So they're assuming that these things will evolve because they make humans' life easier. But the Tamagotchi thing is about providing a real experience, and that's different. And so we've obviously you're saying we you you couldn't predict that mankind would go down a route of creating things to provide a real experience of something that already exists in a non-technological form. And making life more difficult in that process. I think that's the thing that is that he's saying. It's like the Jetsons is all about predicting making things more a bit easier. But actually, one of the things technology does is it takes us down these really weird routes that actually end up making life quite a lot more difficult. Mm. But just by a kind of knock-on effect of just random or social or technological or... I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's that, just... Should we return to this? Because this feels like it forms part of our answer to our question. Okay. Um, Because I think we're starting to pull together some threads already. Oh, right. Which you're writing down, which they're both writing down. Uh, I'm really hoping that Claire's writing down. Because I've just written the word trousers three times. Um, (laughs) (laughs) No, it says I've got unforeseen and more difficult. Um, Mm. So next up on our predictions from the Jetsons, I'm going to amalgamate a few of these just because... We're running out of time. Okay. uh, Efficiency, I was going to say, but we're running out of time. Yeah, yeah. so uh, flat screen TVs uh, and smartwatches. Now, they don't seem completely connected, but a smartwatch in the Jetsons is basically a cathode ray television on your wrist. So, you know, as deep as it is wide, 
Um, and just about all screens in the Jetsons are cathode ray TVs, like great big, thick, chunky things, except for these, these, one partic- these particular ones that come out of the ceiling, which are very thin. And that's just great because it means they think that screens will still be tellies, except for ones that you don't need to be. Which just I, I, it strikes me as absolutely wonderful. As far as they're concerned, all screens will still just need to be tellies. That's, that's how tellies are. That's, that's as good as tellies will ever get. Yeah, I, this is because we're, we're looking at the principles of things and that basically there is, there's one of the principles about predicting the future, which is things will just gradually, incrementally get better, sort of faster, bigger, smaller, whatever. And it's, I think this TV thing is just one of the more obvious predictions you could make, which is that let's get, make, TVs can get better and better and better, or they can get 3D, or they can get wraparound, or they can get smaller so you can stick them on their wrist. That seems like one of the more obvious ways that you can predict uh, technologies changing. Mm. And it looks like it's a prediction based on trend as well, because in the 60s when this came out, TVs were exploding. Well, not, not exploding. Mm. Some of them were. Some of them were because of <laughs> vacuum tube. Um, but so, yeah, uh, the whole sort of television ownership was um, exploding globally. So you'll notice in the Jetsons uh, that they have tellies on literally everything. In fact, um, they, just to bring in another one, uh, they predicted reading newspapers on screens way back then. And they thought, oh, of course, people will want to read them on the telly. So they're predicting a wider usage rather than a more developed version of the TV, exactly. although they do have one yeah. flat screen. Yeah, because yeah, I think it was it was a trend they were seeing at the time where there were more tellies in more places, so they have more tellies in more places, um, and people were using it for more stuff. It was a, a, a rapidly developing medium, and they thought, yeah, newspapers go on it. I mean, that seems like looking, yeah, I guess that's looking backwards to look forwards in that you sort of you look at where you were, you look at where you are, and you assume that that curve continues to go upwards. Yeah, like Moore's law, I mean, that's one of the things is like, you, it's, you know, every 18 months processing power gets twice as affordable. So you can get the same amount of uh, processing power for the same amount of money. And that's a trend that it seems to be gradually increasing. But that means that every, oh, it's changing, uh, is it? There's, there's a, there's it's a, wearing off. It's a, Moore's law is potentially wearing off because we've hit a point now where people are just sticking more cores in things. And uh, nanometer architecture can only get so thin. But all you can then say is that actually, yeah, but sort of 10 years from now, we'll be able to do this much more stuff because it's that much faster, but maybe there's a limit to it. But so those are the kind of predictive things that can happen. I think where the smartwatches, the idea that, yes, you would have a, a smartwatch, but it would, could also connect you with all the other information in the world and also record things and also tell you which way was north and also all the things that a smartphone can do. So, yeah, we had the idea of mobile phones going back 110 years or something. But we didn't have the idea of these phones not being there just to talk to people, but doing all the, the huge numbers of other things that, that, that technology can do now. I don't think any of that was foreseen. And then when you're looking at where the future, like a couple of hundred years from now, people are just thinking of really clever smartphones that are kind of invisible or do a lot more stuff. They're not, they're not making that kind of complete leap to a completely different technology where you know, because we didn't sort of foresee smartphones. Well, I think I think a part of it is identifying what in that you're actually projecting forwards as well. Because if you look at the TVs, for example, they're projecting forwards, not televisions, really. It's screens. It's there's screens and everything. But to them, a screen is this great big chunky thing. But that's the thing that's actually kind of propagated forwards is that everything has a screen now. Your printer has a screen. Um, your camera has a screen. Absolutely everything has a screen now. It's not a television. It's not a thing. But it's, that was the useful element to that in reality. But of course, to them, a screen was a television, so they weren't able to, to separate the concept of a projected image or a displayed image being attached to a piece of technology from the technology itself. I suppose that's one of the things that we need to watch out for with predicting the future is that we're not carrying forward the device uh, so much as kind of what the, uh, the concepts are and what it enables. Yes. Yes. Agreed.
got up. This has turned um, for something. This is, we're doing all right, I think. Um, so um, let's see. Are there any? What other ones on here do we feel are most relevant to education? Well, we've got video chats. Oh, video chats—a good one. And we've got kids and technology. Mm. Kids and technology. I found that about a week one because it was just kids are just ubiquitously sort of embedded with technology, wasn't it? One of the things about predictions is that there are some things that you can pretty much guarantee are always going to be true. So, for instance, like all the all the science fiction we see, where the people have got books, physical books, paper books. I mean, they might be rarer and rarer and rarer, but you know, Star Trek—they're always carrying physical books around with paper, and because people like that tangi- tangible physical thing, and yeah. the, maybe that will always be with us. So the, the, the concept of the, of the constant. Yes, yeah, so, the cons- so one of the things about predicting the future is some things will all be, always be constant. And the thing about kids and technology will always be, it's always been constant, probably always will be. There's a, uh, when I was doing this thing on education technology. Oh, well, sorry, what's the thing about kids and technology? Because we've not. Oh, the kids, kids will always be better at technology than the adults are, and, and adults will always be slightly blown away by the fact that the kids are picking it up more quickly than they are. There's a letter that Chaucer wrote to his son about an astrolabe, which is just brilliant. He's, he's, gone, he's, gone, he's been, you know, gone on to Europe, mainland Europe, and he's found these astrolabes. And astrolabes could tell the future, not could tell the future, they could tell the time. They could, uh, they could, uh, they could use it for orientating the the uh, where stars were. You could find out what longitude you were or latitude. One of them, one of them's really easy. One of them's really hard. I can't remember which which. And one or two other things, which way's north or whatever. So this astrolabe is just it's got multiple functional thing. And he writes to his son saying, "Well, I have no idea to you how to use it. I've got instructions, but I can't follow them. But no doubt, being a youngster, you'll just pick it up and just use it, whatever." And it's brilliant. It's like it's like exactly the way that you know adults talk to kids now. And oh, I can't fun, fun, get this iPad to work. I'll get the kid to do it because he's eight, so he'll be able to do it. Peter, I need to connect thine HDMI cable. Yeah. To the- <laughs> and I'm sure that you know if you go back to Stone Age times, then you know you're getting your hand axe out and you're going, oh, I can't work out how to use this hand axe. How do I switch bronze on? Yeah. How do I change this from stabbing mode to scraping mode? Oh, I don't know. I'll get the kid to do it. And he'd say, oh, you just rotate it round like that. And now you can hold it like that. And it's, again, not very visual, uh, too visual. And you go, oh, that's brilliant. Thanks, you know. And I mean, that's a continuity thing. It'll always be like that. One, one thing I thought earlier that um, the Jetsons doesn't seem to, or maybe it doesn't, it's just not explained in that, is it doesn't um, recognise that there are cycles. And when you were mentioning books just then, that reminded me of it. There's always a cycles in development isn't there so you, people gem, generally go back to things that were familiar so the constants you were talking about earlier um, as well as moving forward with other things so that's in education you'll probably find that that also happens mm. that there'll be in some ways technology will move on but people will want some of the things that um, people had in the past at the same time uh, yeah, the books, books, great. I mean, yeah. back to books as an example. I know books as a constant, people still like them, but books themselves have had a massive explosion in popularity again mm-hmm. recently after, you know, suffering from e-books and uh, video yeah. and TV. And the 25s, you know, that's, they, 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 they're buying more e-book, uh, they're buying more physical books than e-books. And LPs, yes. you know, L- yeah, vinyl, vinyl is back. Yeah. Yeah. It never really died vinyl, did it? No, it but it's a... the kids that are collecting it. It's yeah. the under 25s that are collecting vinyl, owning the physical thing. And they don't might not be playing it, but they want to hold it and have yeah. the liner notes and all that sort of stuff. And you're right, it's, it's a cycle thing, which is one of the principles. It's the things that, well, some things will stay the same. Some things will grow incrementally in an obvious way. 
And one of them is that things will go in cycles. So you've got the hype cycle where everybody gets really loves the technology and then they'll kick against it and they go, well, this is a load of rubbish. And then people will then reject it and then they'll gradually work out what it's good for. So you end up with those that boom and bust of getting people getting really excited about it for the wrong reason, rejecting it for the wrong reasons, and then gradually working out how to use it for the right reasons. Mm. And we see that happen time and time again with technology. Um, okay, so uh, I think the last one that we found that we wanted to talk about was uh, video chat, uh, which, yeah, the Jetsons predicted ages ago. Although, interestingly, they predicted it uh, without the use of a camera. I don't know if you've seen the, oh, uh, yes. the pictures. It's just it's just two screens facing each other with no noticeable cameras. Mm. Oh well, maybe there's a camera hidden in the screen. Yeah, like a bezel-less camera. I mean, if they did that, then they predicted the bezel-less smartphone um, 50 years early as well. Yeah, video conferencing again, absolutely predictable. Way back in the past. Yeah, and and rubbish. It turns out it, it, the future is here, and the future's crap. Uh, video conferencing's poor. Don't you like it? No, I think um, I think video conferencing doesn't work. Is it, it? I was just in a meeting talking about uh, video conferencing. <laughs> in a, in a what serendipity! <laughs> but um, <laughs> uh, the, the reason why it wasn't being used by the particular person that I spoke to is because they still have issues with Wi-Fi. So there's still a, a technological issue to using video conferencing in many cases. <laughs> Hello and welcome back. Um, so we've had some technical issues, embarrassing ones. Uh, essentially, we were halfway through recording this episode, or two thirds, and um, the memory card we were using to record filled up uh, and then didn't let us know. And we just kept on talking for a while. And we were planning to do another lo little local cheeky re-recording. Uh, and then COVID-19 came in and, and screwed everything up, which has been an absolute delight. So now we're all working from home and we're trying to record off Zencaster. Um, for the first time and we haven't done a test because that would be just too easy uh, so anyway we were halfway through talking about uh the vagaries of video conferencing and then wiggly bosh covid 19's happened and suddenly we're all being forced to do all of our meetings uh, online uh, and video conferencing is back in focus well no i was going to bring it back to predicting the future and um uh, oh, well done claire somebody should yeah well we, that, there, was, there was no prediction of the amount of plastic waste in um what were we watching before the oh, Jetsons. the Jetsons. The Jetsons. Oh, but there was. Oh, was there? They Pollution were. So, was on that list, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. So uh, basically, like, the, the world beneath the clouds um, is just kind of a polluted hellscape. Uh, oh, of course. Yes. Oh. Yes. Bringing us back to, to video conferencing, sorry. Um, you know, the fact that this conversation has spanned um, two different phases of uh, the current uh, crisis, my opinions on video conferencing have probably solidified Actually, no, have they solidified? That's not the word. Shifted somewhat. Um, now I'm in a situation where we're all working from home and having to communicate remotely. And I am finding, to be honest, that when I'm presented with just the option of speaking to people through voice calls or being able to also have a video stream of them, I do like having the video stream as well. I do like it a lot more. It's not as good as being in a meeting at all. And I'm not a big fan of meetings, but if I've got to be in a meeting, I'd rather be able to you know a see the people and have them within you know not touching range but you know what i mean smacking range um <laughs> and then if I, if I can't do that then at least be able to see their faces pick up on sort of you know their little mm. little cues watching somebody grimace when i say something stupid yeah really but, struggling but with just the voice call thing that can be limiting as well though i think can't it because um yeah i've been in meetings before where people have rolled their eyes for example and and sometimes that stops you from from pushing ahead with what you want to say. So um, I think there are pros and cons. 
aren't there to mm. to having that input of um that additional input from fa- a face-to-face meeting yeah but um yeah i think you you have a different kind of emotional load from video conferencing because you don't get any of the positive visual feedback yeah i mean that's where mike was coming from when we had this conversation last time which is that he didn't want all this is what you were saying last time i think was that you didn't want all that extra cognitive load and then i think claire was saying this in some of our email correspondence afterwards that it's actually nicer to not have all that sort of stuff because um you you don't want to people to you don't want to have to feel that you're on the whole time and that yeah. you have to look interested the whole time and that <laughs> kind of thing i mean and um and i i like that i find face to face meetings quite difficult mm. and um, quite a strain and um i i just like the extra freedom and also the back channel that you get so it's trying to actually um talk to other people when they're talking the whole time and get my work get okay what i want to say in when everybody else is talking sometimes i've timed myself in some meetings and it's around 40 minutes before i get a word in it's that difficult <laughs> um whereas actually online you can just type your answer and yes. then even if you're not going to say anything at least as a, a text-based t- back channel where you can get your ideas across mm. and i just find that so much yeah so I do much like better. That, yeah I, su- I suppose part of the problem is that um just because the technology has been introduced doesn't mean that people know how to use it effectively. Um, and, and that causes some backlash, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, there's the whole thing about uh, forgetting to mute when you're not talking. <sighs> or, Scumbaggery. Yes. Or the other one, which is forgetting to unmute when you start talking. So in combination, <laughs> those two things are quite difficult to get hold of. And I think that's maybe the thing that predicting the future is a bit difficult for is that even when it becomes straightforward to use technically it still becomes maybe problematic to use behaviorally like cult- yes. uh, not, maybe culturally or may- like like um uh like holograms you know those holograms where they're all sitting standing and you can actually it's like they're in the room and but what's the chances that you're gonna have somebody who keeps on remembering that they can't they have to stay still and they keep on wandering off so you can't see them and they keep wandering mm. out of range of the hollow hollow scanner. You know, you can have people who are just assholes like that, even in the 24th century, who just can't remember that they're supposed to, how they're supposed to use the technology. But I think that's the pattern though, isn't it? It's once you have uh, holographic conferencing, then video conferencing will be widely accepted as the go-to thing to do. It's not until the technology pushes on to the next phase that suddenly what's available now seems like the best thing yeah yeah because it'll be like oh man i can't i can't stand there like a ape for <laughs> half an hour in this hollow conference i'll just sit down put the webcam on my desk and at least that way i yeah that's an interesting thought mm. back at the beginning of this episode we uh we mentioned that we had 14 times jetson's predicted the future i think we've talked about six of them um so i'm gonna do a uh 30 second rundown of the other things they predicted oh okay which is just fun really and a lot of them I think we've kind of covered previously. So they are smartwatches, their tellies on your wrist, drones, yep, robots, Roombas, yeah, we've already talked about robot servants. They predicted the digital newspaper appearing on your telly screen, which tellies again, tellies and screens, uh, 3D printed food. Yeah, they predicted that one. I mean, it's not commonplace now, but they've got it on the space station or whatever. Uh, yeah. The pill cam, brilliant. Well done them. It's basically telly technology, but in a different setting. Again, they were obsessed with tellies. Space tourism. 
Uh, I'm not sure if this quite counts yet, but old Richard Branson's probably got his escape shuttle all uh, fueled up and ready to go for when this all goes to uh, to pot. And oh, there we go. That was the rest of the times. That's maybe the whole thing is a con just to get Richard Branson to just fuck off finally. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Wouldn't that be brilliant? It's like... <laughs> Mark, don't tell him. Really we're all in on it. We're all, it's, the whole media has just manufactured this. There's really nobody actually getting sick anywhere. And it's just to convince Richard Branson to get on his spaceship and just go away and never come back. Mark, did you not get the group WhatsApp? Like, <laughs> everybody knows. <laughs> and, and Jeff... Don't say it online in case well. you heard. No, no. Hang on. Who's the Tesla guy? Elon Musk. Elon Musk uh... as well. Yeah. So, yeah. E- Elon Musk and, and Richard Branson in a spaceship for the rest of their lives and getting away from the rest of us. Nice. <laughs> well, oh, unless we want them as sponsors. Sorry, go on. <laughs> Sorry, Claire. I know. I was going to say, um, if you you haven't been watching Avenue Five yet, have you? But that's basically set on a um, uh, a futuristic uh, space cruise liner with loads of passengers and loads of stuff goes wrong. So I guess that could potentially be a predictor of the future as well. <laughs> Oh, also drones, all the little robots going around delivering groceries at the moment. Aren't you feeling sorry for them? They must be like run off their little wheels at the moment. Yeah. I know, poor things. I always feel sorry for those things anyway. Yeah, particularly when it's really like raining and they're just trundling along and getting really edgy about crossing the road and things. Oh, I like them. They look all happy and bouncy. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Those look cheerful to me. Okay, Mark, would you be so good as to to summarise this for us? Oh, hello. Mark? <laughs> oh, no. I think that's how you should end the podcast, just you going, Mark? <laughs> oh, no. Where's he gone? Mark. Okay, so Mark has dropped off the call. I can only assume that in a flurry of elbows, he somehow like knocked his microphone out or something. Um, okay, so we had how some things uh, always stay the same. Uh, so that's like kiddies knowing how to do tech better than the oldling folks, people liking physical things, taking the easy way out, or just fucking up while using the tech. Uh, there's also the idea that things always develop the same way in, on the whole, oh, sorry, I'm, just, I'm reading Mark's script. There's also the idea that things always develop in the same way in, on the whole, predictable ways, uh, like Moore's Law, which I think Mark referenced earlier, uh, although that might be wearing out, which is what I said, because I think that um, nanometer architecture can only get so small. We also talked about cycles. So looking back at previous areas, the, the hype cycle, uh, I'm currently listening to a very interesting book on um, the cycle of celebrity. Mm. Uh, then there's, it's really, really good. I'll have to send you that. You might be of interest with you, Claire. It's really, yeah, really interesting. Definitely. Then there's uh, cultural shifts making a difference. So how gender roles change, but the Jetsons not really predicting that, um, but still lagging behind everything else because generational change takes more time. And then there's the stuff that isn't predictable, like pandemics. Uh, and how that affects how people uh, interact with tech uh, and how the tech itself progresses in the direction that takes. So uh, in part two, we'll be looking at how to apply these principles to looking at specific technologies that we think will be cropping up in ed tech in the future. And thank you very much to Mark, who halfway through this call, I can only assume, got very excited and uh, stuck his ankle in his laptop and it's now um, stopped recording for him. So Mark's editing this episode anyway. um, So I'm really hoping he'll drop in a witty goodbye from himself. So I'll do the wrap up. Uh, Claire, do you think I missed anything? anything? I think it's no? fine. Yeah. <laughs> anything you'd like to add to that? Nope, nothing. Okay. So I saw that's. I wasn't sure if that was Mark saying from me anyway, might be the only thing else I've missed. I wasn't sure if that was a script note for me, but I definitely should have checked to see if there's anything I'd missed. Um, 
So thank you very much for listening. You can subscribe to us on all of your favourite apps, feeds, iTunes, and at our website, www.pedagodzilla.com, or one word. Um, if you've enjoyed the episode, and we rather hope you did, we'd be obliged if you could please leave us a review on iTunes, um, or alternatively share it with people who might be interested. Anybody in the world of education, people who want to know more about learning, you know, nerds, what fancy really. Um, we love you lots, and we'll speak to you next time. Bye-bye now. Goodbye. Hello, and it's me. I'm back. Finished the editing. Although, if you can hear some outro music, at some point it means Mike's done some more post-production. So, uh, a couple of things. One is thanks to two Edwards. First of all, Ed Wood, who, uh, from whom we took the uh, Plan 9 from Outer Space intro. And then also um, Edward Cornish, whose book Futuring we used a bit in coming up with the um, framework for looking at the future of stuff. So, uh, okay, uh, I think just if there's any comments, you can tweet to me at Mark Childs. Thanks for sticking around during the various technical hitches we've had. Uh, I realise this is episode 13, but hopefully there's nothing ominous to be gained from that particular number. And hopefully you'll come back for episode 14. Okay, bye then. <laughs>